0: huge news on tariffs big win for trump that's coming up in a moment a california dmv worker slept for three hours a day on the job at the dmv for nearly four years her supervisors were aware of it they basically did nothing no disciplinary action they're in trouble now now they're getting the disciplinary action the supervisors the employee still works at the dmv between february 2014 december 2017 She slept through 2,200 hours of work, cost the taxpayers $40,000. And then we wonder why the DMV is so incompetent, why it's such a miserable place to be. Now, I'm going to try to cut down on saying you can't make this stuff up. If I was going to say it, I would say it here, but I'm going to try not to say that too often. All right. Many of you called in to defend Trump's farmer bailout. We'll get to your defense coming up. Trump postponed his meeting with Putin. Pompeo met with the Senate. Congress got one step closer to impeaching Rosenstein. All those stories are coming up. But first, the EU has caved into Trump's Tariff demands, and they said they'll work to even out, balance out the massive trade imbalance between Europe and the United States. Unbelievable. Essentially, they've agreed to either eliminate or heavily reduce tariffs on U.S. imports to Europe. And their goal basically is to have zero tariffs. That's what they said. Now, part of the strategy is this is going to squeeze China. See, this is going to offset the trade war. Trade war. Obviously not, right? No trade war here, as it turns out, as Trump promised. But between the United States and China, things have gotten a little bit sticky. So now Europe is going to help kind of calm that situation. And this is going to force China, I suspect, to cave in sooner or later. And even if they don't, this puts the United States in a much better negotiating position. And this is exactly the way Trump scripted this. If you know how Trump negotiates his strategy, you can literally at this point predict how it all plays out. Trump makes an extreme threat. Everybody gets panicky and says Trump is going to bring about World War. Four, three the other side inevitably backs down and blinks. And caves into Trump's demands, and then Trump backs off. He's, all right, you know what? Forget my original demands, you know, which in this case is the big tariffs. Look, we have to see how it all plays out. They have to iron out the details. And everybody knows it's a tactic. They all know what's going to happen. It's not like it's even a secret at this point, but they know Trump means it, and he'll follow through, so they give in. It's pretty amazing. So, meanwhile, you had China right now buying a lot less soybeans and corn from the United States farmers, which is a very big deal. You know, what's a big deal? Just a couple of products. You're talking about billion dollars industries, soybean and corn, the EU promised to buy a lot more of those American products that there's a surplus of immediately, so they're going to do that right now, so that's going to help offset a lot of the issues going on with China, so this is a major victory for Trump, China stopped buying as much of these these uh, products to get back at the United States, and partially because they've gotten more expensive because of the tariffs, so again, their ham- or well, at least China has other expenses, so this is how they're evening it out, whatever the technical details are, but it turns out no trade war, after all, Trump didn't take, tank the United States economy. It didn't collapse over his tariffs, believe it or not. Is the media going to give him credit? No, they're going to bury this story, go back to talking about Mueller and Putin and Maxine Waters, who says it is her mission on earth to bring President Trump down. All right, Trump postpones his meeting with Putin, as we told you. Now, I don't blame him for this. I'm not happy about this because what's happening here is the media and the Democrats are dictating foreign policy. They're forcing politics to interfere with what what really is foreign diplomacy, what Trump should be doing, which is developing a relationship and repairing a broken relationship, thanks to Obama, with Putin. Now, the last thing Trump needs is a dark cloud before the election, where all the media is talking about is how Trump refuses to accuse Putin of meddling. And whatever Trump does at this point, you know the media is going to turn it into a negative somehow. So Trump figures, listen, better to just postpone this until after the election. John Bolton's statement was, President Trump will postpone the meeting with Putin until the Russia witch hunt is over sometime next year. So the media is still going to rant and rave about Russia collusion before November. We know that. But without the Putin meeting, then it's just going to be just empty noise. And if anything, it's going to help the media discredit themselves because people know that the Mueller story is pretty much crumbling at this point. People get it, you know, but with with, with a Putin meeting, another Helsinki too, that would just cause problems that Trump and the Republicans don't need right now. So again, media and the Democrats are dictating American foreign policy because of their hysteria. That's not a good thing. Now, meanwhile, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, uh, was on Capitol Hill, was in Congress, had a meeting with senators, and these Democrat senators, they were on the attack. All they're doing is pretty much showboating there, and they're just trying to get their soundbite, and especially people like Cory Booker, who wants to run for president against Trump in 2020, and a few other senators who are trying to build a name for themselves. So they're going at it. They're just unloading on Mike Pompeo, Him saying, Tell us about his meeting with Putin, his closed door meeting with Putin. And Pompeo basically said, No, I'm not going to tell you. These are secret, high level meetings between the two most powerful people on the planet. You expect me to sit here and tell the whole world what they discussed privately. Not to mention, Pompeo said, I don't even know what they discussed because they were in a private locked room. So I wasn't privy to the discussion. So they're grilling him and saying, well, what did he tell you? What were the topics they discussed? And Pompeo said, listen, anything Trump has said publicly, I'll gladly share with you. Anything he told me privately, I am absolutely not going to share with you because you have no right to know. And in fact, it would damage the government, not to mention the president, uh, if I publicize this stuff and they can't handle it. They feel the need. They think they're entitled to know everything that goes on. They're offended. How could Trump, we know that he colluded with Putin for all that time. How could he now get in, have the nerve to get into a locked door meeting and actually have a one-on-one talk with Putin? They, 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 it's like this arrogance where they refuse to accept and respect the fact that he's the president. And Putin is the president of Russia. And these are like literally the two most powerful people on the planet. And no, Cory Booker, you don't have. Russell so Pompeo's like, listen, I'm not going to tell you. They said, but he told you if Trump told you, why can't you tell us? And he's like, well, the president could tell me his, his one of his top advisors, the secretary of state, state secrets and private conversations that he had with foreign leaders. And it doesn't mean I have to come here to the Senate and disclose all that stuff and like somehow just reveal all of the secrets. And they don't get it. And again, like I said, they do get it. You know, they just wanted the soundbite. You know, but apparently it got very, very testy. All right. Meanwhile, Congress. They're about to go on recess. If you had told me that Congress had been in recess for the last two months, I would have believed you. I mean, does anybody even notice? Have they gotten anything passed here in the last few months? I haven't noticed a single thing. But either way, this time they're officially going on recess. You know, they're only going to be in session for three weeks. Between now and November, they will be in session for a total of three weeks. Well, they have to go and campaign, right? Look, big reelection here coming up. We can't expect them to be in Washington. These are busy people. But anyway, uh, before their recess... They did move the budget one step closer. We told you about this budget that has to be passed, I guess, by the end of September to avoid a government shutdown. And the budget funds five billion dollars for the wall. However, as we told you, the Senate is refusing to even look at that. But the budget does fund five billion dollars for Trump's wall. Which would be nice if it happens, which is probably not going to happen. Uh, again, now they're going on recess. This didn't pass the House. This just got through committee, so it's not going to be voted on here for another few weeks. Meanwhile, uh, uh, Jim Jordan and some other conservative uh, Freedom Caucus Congressman members uh, have filed articles of impeachment against Rod Rosenstein. They've been threatening to do this. They filed articles of impeachment. Now, folks. What does this mean practically, these articles of impeachment? Well, okay, come close. I'm going to tell you practically exactly what this means, okay? Pay attention. Nothing. This means absolutely nothing because Rosenstein will never get impeached. Even if he gets impeached, he still has his job, but he's not going to get impeached. See, this thing, look how they've been threatening it for who knows how long. They finally did it. And they did it right before they waited and pushed it off, right? They did it right before this long recess because they know that the the bureaucracy and red tape, they know nothing's going to come of it. So this is a PR stunt. The media sees that. Everybody knows that. It's a PR stunt because even if something happened on this, unless it was considered a a privileged stunt situation, in which case they would speed it up, but nobody's calling it that, uh, they're not going to be voting on this for weeks and maybe months. And even if they vote on it, it's not going to pass. And even if it passes, all that does is then he goes to trial by the Senate. It would take two thirds of the Senate to actually remove him from office. Now, guess how many government officials, federal government officials have been removed from office in U.S. history. Trivia. U.S. history. How many federal government officials were removed from office as a result of impeachment? Zero. Zero zero. Clinton was impeached and and others have been impeached, but impeachment just means it rarely happens. And even when they do it, it just means that it goes to trial. It's like the equivalent of an indictment. And then they actually have to go to the Senate for a trial. The Senate would need two thirds in order to ouster him. So it's a statement, you know, maybe it's a good thing because the bottom line is if they did impeach Rosenstein, at least that would put a lot of pressure on him. Now, just as a quick reminder, what has Rosenstein done? Well, many things. He signed on one of the renewal applications uh, for FISA warrant to spy on Carter Page. That had to be re- renewed every few months. And Rosenstein, despite the steel dossier being completely, basically fabricated, a completely bogus document, totally unverified, Rosenstein signed on to, to the uh, renewal warrant uh, for Carter Page, signed on to the renewal application request from the FISA court and didn't bother him at all the fact that the Steele dossier was paid for by the Democrats as opposition research, and that was the main piece of evidence uh, used to spy on Carter Page. Now he has he's the one who appointed Bob Mueller. Let's not forget that. And by the way, those indictments of Russian nationals on the eve of Trump's Helsinki tri- trip, you can thank Rod Rosenstein for sabotaging his boy, President, his boss, President Trump. It just amazes me. Rosenstein works for President Trump. He was appointed by President Trump. You would literally think that he was an Obama appointee. And yeah, he's a total establishment guy. He worked in the government under Obama as well. And so he's very, very much part of the swamp. Now, he has allowed the Mueller probe to expand way, way, way beyond Russia collusion and, you know, what it really should be about. And it's dragged on, I mean... Over 20 million dollars in expenses. All that's because of Mueller. Mueller could have limited it. He could have. He could have fired. I'm sorry, not Mueller. Rosenstein. Rosenstein could have limited it. He could have fired Mueller by now. He certainly could have pressured Mueller to keep it much more focused instead of just all over the place with Flynn and Manafort and all these and their family members and bankrupting those people and all the other these Caputo all these other people who are totally totally irrelevant have nothing to do with Russia collusion and a lot of the indictments are about stuff that happened 10 years before Trump even ran for office. Amazing. Now, of course, Rosenstein has refused to show a lot of documents to Congress they've been demanding, including how Operation Hurricane Crossfire began, which was the investigation into Russia collusion and specifically Spygate, where they actually had spies, I'm sorry, informants, informants planted in the Trump campaign to try to basically entrap members of the Trump campaign to collude with Russian agents, Russian officials. Amazing. Now, he also oversaw at the DOJ Peter Strzok. Lisa Page, Andrew McCabe, and yet we've seen no disciplinary action. Peter Strzok is still working for the FBI, you know? So uh, just, just amazing stuff here that's gone on with Rosenstein under his watch, and yet no repercussions whatsoever. And will they impeach him? Like I said, unlikely. We'll wait and see what happens. All right, Iran, big news out of Iran. They've replaced their head of their central bank, and it may not seem like a big deal, but it is because it shows the level of panic right now. The Iranian President Rouhani and a lot of top Iranian officials, leaders, are very panicky. Their economy is tanking very, very quickly. You're talking about food, water, basic supplies, uh, you know, bread and eggs and basic food staples that the Iranian people cannot find. They cannot buy it, and their currency is close to worthless right now. So their economy is in terrible shape, and believe it or not, U.S. sanctions uh, as a result of President Trump pulling out of the nuclear deal, they haven't even taken effect. August 6th, the first round of sanctions go into effect, and then a bunch more happen later, I think in September or in October, and at that point, we can only imagine what's going to happen to the Iranian economy, especially once the Europeans are forced to stop doing business with Iran, so they're very nervous right now, and the Iranian people, they've been protesting, hundreds of protests here in the last year, as we've told you about, and like, they don't even care what happens. They're not even afraid to topple their own regime. They asked one of these protesters, they said, well, aren't you worried about possibly triggering a war? And Iran could could have a war with the United States. And he said, a war? I don't care about a war. He said, we don't have bread and butter. I don't have basic meals to, to eat. And you think that I'm worried about a war? A war is just not what's on my mind right now. So that's a, a very big deal because that could, these protests, if anything could topple the regime, it could happen. Now, do I think the regime will topple? No. But do I think that the Iranian leaders are going to become so panicky and so concerned about the crisis there and about mass hysteria that they're going to cave in to Trump and they're going to agree to renegotiate the, the nuclear deal. I think that's a very distinct possibility. All right. Uh, one of you, so A lot of you called up about smoking. Some, some people, not many, some people called to defend smoking, which to me is incomprehensible, but a former smoker called and actually said that I didn't explain clearly enough and I didn't go through in a detailed enough way what the problems are with smoking. He said, yeah, smoking's deadly, which is what I focused on. He said, Put that aside, the quality of life of smokers, he used to be a smoker and he quit. He said they have a lot of health issues, even, you know, even not necessarily the big health issues, but throughout their lives, a lot of health issues, shortness of breath and their family members, you know, people who smoke, uh, their family members suffer as well. You know, of course, they have a bad smell and they've got to go out all the time to smoke. And he said they always need a fix, you know, just the quality of life of people who always need a fix. That's not fun, not pleasant. And he also said it can lead to Bittu which is, I thought, a very good point. You know, he says when somebody needs a fix, certain times they just can't control themselves. They have to go out, go out of the base medrash and stop learning. And he said, you know, a few minutes here, a few minutes there, it adds up. You know, even a very short amount of time of Bittu is still a very, very serious thing. So thank you for pointing that out. Now, another caller... Called up to point out about the ninth, ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Very interesting. We mentioned that you know, they're a very they are known as an extremely liberal and really. Radical, like people consider them almost just a group of raving lunatics. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, some of their rulings, which have been overturned by the Supreme Court, they had a surprisingly conservative ruling where they said that the Constitution, Second Amendment, gives you a right to carry an open gun, to carry a firearm openly in public for self defense. So Kohler pointed out that there is a new Trump appointee, there's a second one in the works, but there's a new Trump appointee, conservative judge who's now a member of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and I don't know if he actually began yet, but it could be that he was part of this ruling. I wasn't able to determine that for sure, but it certainly makes sense. So then we're already seeing Trump's impact, and that's going to happen more and more because he had a record number of judicial appointees, President Trump, conservatives, that have been appointed to a lot of these federal courts. So great point there. Thank you for that. And finally, farmers. You know, So here are the defenses on... Uh, here are all of your arguments why President Trump is correct to give a $12 billion bailout to the farmers. Now, this EU trade deal... That we mentioned at the beginning of the show that's certainly going to help the farmers a lot cuz they're going to buy a lot of the products but in addition to that one one caller said Trump has to do this to protect the economy and basically prevent a recession. This is such a big deal, such a staple to the U.S. economy that if we don't bail the farmers out, that could lead to a domino effect and it could actually lead to a major recession. So that is a very good point. So he's saying this is not socialism where we're deciding to prop up people who can't afford it. What this really is about is bailing out uh, companies or in this case, farmers and industry, which is integral to the U.S. economy. Okay, okay fair point. Also, somebody said it's not socialism because the United States is the reason they're suffering. Trump is what really brought this about. Now, in long term, this should lead to much better things and a much better situation for farmers and for these industries, as we already see with this deal with the EU. But in the meantime, the short-term result of higher tariffs can lead to crunches like this and can actually lead to problems. So since the government caused it, it's not socialism. Socialism is we just redistribute wealth to the people who need it. Here, the government kind have created the problem which is an interesting point and you know the other point that was made to me by a, a listener who emailed me and you could do that you can email us you could send a text as this listener did to the Jewish news channel at gmail.com is Trump is not an ideologue you know I always talk about how he's a big spender Trump is the most conservative president we've had since Reagan, and possibly even more conservative than Reagan, but he is a big spender. They all are, except for Rand Paul and a few, very, very, very few individuals who are super conservative slash libertarian. Even Republicans, for the most part, are very, very big spenders. They're just not that kind of conservative anymore. If you're in government, you like to spend. I'm I'm not happy about that, but it's a fact. So, you know, in that sense, he wanted to win the elections. The farmers are a very big deal for President Trump in terms of his base, that whole industry, rural America, middle America, blue-collar America. And Trump's a pragmatist. He's a practical guy, and he wants to win. And if he doesn't bail these farmers out, then that could lead to big problems in November. Another great point. All right, that's going to do it for today. I hope everybody has a wonderful Shabbos. My name is Yaakov M.,